Well, good morning, TBA. Oh, come on. The first service did better than that. It's Mother's Day. Good morning, TBA. Thank you very much. My name is Dave Shive, and I am one of the pastors here at TBA. It's truly an honor to be with you this Mother's Day. Um, before we get started, I'll just give you a couple of announcements. When you came in, you should have gotten a bulletin. Um, attached, well, not, in that bulletin is a lot of announcements, so you want to make sure you read through that and see what announcements we have. But attached to that bulletin is a connection card. And that connection card is, is uh, your way to contact us and keep in touch with us and for us to keep in touch with you and know what's going on in your life as well. So if you have uh, comments or prayer concerns or any of that, you can put that on your card. If you want to sign up to serve in one of our ministries, you can put that on the card as well. If you are here for the first time, what we would like to ask of you is if you could at least give us your email address. That way we can just have a record of you being here and send you an email thanking you for being here today. Um, We're not going to knock on your door and we're not going to send you any information, but just send you a simple email that says, hey, thanks for being with us today. Also, there is a gift out at gift services for you. If this is your first time, you want to make sure you stop out and uh, talk with them and get your gift from them. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements, and then we'll get started. Um, don't forget to get your pictures for Mother's Day pictures. Everybody going to do that, right? Going to make mom happy, right? Yep. Hello? Is this on? Okay, so make sure you get your picture with your mom. And um, we'll try to get those out to you uh, as soon as possible. We'll send you a, a, an email link that will allow you to download your picture from uh, our Dropbox account. Um, the other announcement that uh, I know that I want to highlight is that uh, next Sunday, after the second service, um, we are having a family picnic at uh, Medard Park, which is out towards Plant City. I know it's a little bit of ways, but it isn't that far. But um, it's a great time for you to come out and bring your family, uh, have a good time. We're going to have a grill out there and some hot dogs and a bounce house and uh, the, the youth group. So Terry, a youth group, puts this picnic on every, every year, and it's a great opportunity for you to come out and meet the youth and uh, know what we're about and who we are. Um, it's also, if you have a fifth grader coming up into the sixth grade next year, whoa, this is a great time for you to um, introduce them to the youth group so they get to get a picture of who we are and what we're about. So you want to make sure you do that. Okay, so <clears throat> today is Mother's Day, right? How many, how many moms do we have with us today? If you're, let me ask you this. If you're a mom or you're, you're an expecting mom, would you, would you just please stand so that we can honor you today? <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, moms. You can be seated. Thank you for all that you do. See, moms do not get the praise or recognition they deserve. After all, they brought us into this world. They raised us. They taught us what was right and what was wrong. And they've supported us in just about everything that we've done. And it doesn't matter whether it's biological or adopted, because we have an adopted son. It doesn't matter. We owe everything to our mothers. And today, since we're going to be talking about work, I thought it would be cool to find out how much moms would be paid if they were actually compensated for all they do. And so salary.com, they do this every year, they surveyed over 15,000 moms to find out what their top 10 most time-consuming jobs are and how much time they spend per week doing that. And then they applied their salary data to each job. And they factored in the number of hours, including overtime, 
They crunched all the numbers and determined an estimate of what mothers would make if they actually received an annual salary. Okay? And so for moms that stay home, for you moms that stay home, your total salary for the year is $118,000 a year. That would be your actual salary. If you're a working mom, your salary is $70,000, but you have to add on top of that what you get paid in your actual job, and that would be your annual salary. So moms are worth a lot more than we give them credit for. And although they're not paid for what they do, I'm sure that every mom would take a hug, a kiss, maybe some encouraging words in lieu of that compensation. Is that right, moms? Yes. So, husbands... Sons and daughters, students, are you listening to me? Students, make sure you pay your mom today. Make sure you pay your mom, especially as you honor her today on Mother's Day. But I would say this, make sure you make a point to do it every day, not just on Mother's Day. Moms mean a lot, and we take them for granted. So make sure you respect your mom and pay her what she's due. $118,000. Whew. That's a lot of hugs and kisses. All right. So we're continuing in our series on this pattern that God has for our lives. And if you were here last week, Brian Legg talked to you about the importance of rest. And I love the illustration that he had up here where he had the treadmill. Because I often feel like that's the way my life goes. I feel like I'm just running as fast as I can, juggling all the things of life. And I'm just running and running and running and I'm getting nowhere. And I'm on this treadmill. How many of you were actually able to complete the 24-hour period of rest challenge that he gave you last week? How many of you were able to do that? One. Two. Three. Maybe three of us. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to rest. I found it, to be honest with you, I found it very hard to do. There was just so many things, so many of those urgent things that came up uh, this past week that had to be done. And they kept getting in the way of my quiet time with God. And they kept getting in the way of that time just just to rest and recharge for the next week. But it's so important that we do so. It's so important that we rest. See, God instituted this concept of rest so that we could reflect on our lives, reflect on our week. We could recharge And we could reset for the next week of work. Ken Love, who was here a couple weeks ago, um, he spoke here a couple weeks ago, and he said something to me that stuck with me. He said, we don't work to rest. We rest in order to work. Now, at first I thought, well, what's the difference? Work to rest, rest to work, the pattern's the same. We work, rest, work, rest, work, rest. Didn't make any sense to me. But the more I thought about it, I began to understand what he was saying. And it all begins with our attitude, the attitude that we have towards work. See, we have the wrong attitude when it comes to work. Because, see, for most of us, work is, well, it's work, right? And we view it in this negative connotation. In a recent article in Forbes magazine, they did a survey on job satisfaction in America. And this is what they found. They said that only 19 percent of Americans are satisfied with their job. Only 19 percent. 16 percent are somewhat satisfied. 21 percent are somewhat unsatisfied. 44 percent unsatisfied. And 32 percent want to find a new job altogether. And the number one reason, the number one reason 
why workers said they were dissatisfied with their jobs was because they didn't see any value in what they did. That their work didn't mean anything. It was just a means to an end. There was no purpose to it. And see, it's not just today's society that views work in that negative connotation. That's been going on for a long time. Throughout history, cultures have denigrated the value of work. The Romans and the Greeks actually viewed manual labor as beneath their dignity, that it was fit for only slaves. Aristotle declared that working as a craftsman or a trader was to be devoid of nobility and hostile to the perfection of character. Even Solomon, Solomon who was the wisest man uh, in the world, had questions about the value of work. And when he looked at it from a purely human perspective, Solomon made the argument that work was futile, that it wasn't worth anything. Look at what he says in Ecclesiastes. He says, Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Thus I hated the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. See, Solomon had the wrong perspective. He was looking at it the wrong way. Because that's not the way God intended it to be. God didn't intend for work to be this toilsome, burdensome thing. Actually, in Genesis 2.15, it says this. It says, The Lord took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it. To work it and keep it. Now, you have to understand, this is before the curse. This is before sin enters into the world. See, work has always been a part of God's perfect plan for our lives. The fall of mankind did not initiate work. It didn't initiate it. It just made it harder to do. In Genesis 3, 17 through 19, it says this, And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. Now catch this very important distinction. God did not curse Adam, nor did he curse his work. What did he curse? He cursed the ground. Or in other words, God made the ground much more resistant to Adam's work. See, Adam could still get results from tilling the ground, but only with hard effort. Now there are thorns and thistles where there were none. Now sweat would be required for bread to be provided. And the dirt that was cursed would also claim them someday. So what does that mean? What's that mean for us? Well, this is what I think it means. I think it means work has never been a curse. But work is actually a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And it's part of his purpose and plan for mankind. And it's been a part of his plan since the beginning. See, sin impacted our work and it made it harder for us to work. It made it more difficult to us, for us to accomplish work than it once was. However, work is not a curse. But it's one of his greatest gifts. It's a blessing to be able to work. Now, I know it's hard to see it that way sometimes. Believe me, I do especially when you have the stress of deadlines and the pressure from supervisors or you have coworkers that don't like you. I know it's hard, but see, God has given us work 
in order to learn and develop skills. God has given us work so that we can contribute to society. Work allows us to provide for our families. You may not see what you do as significant, but it is serving a need. It is serving a need in a community or in in society or you wouldn't be working. See, I believe work can have value, meaning, and fulfillment in life. I mean, think about, think about a time where you worked at something real hard. Maybe it was a sales presentation you put together or a project you worked on. I mean, you put your whole effort into it, your blood, your sweat, your tears. And when you finished that project, didn't you feel a sense of accomplishment, a sense of pride for the work that you did? See, that's the way work is supposed to be. It doesn't mean that work is easy, but through all our toil and labor, there comes this sense of fulfillment. The problem that we have is when we, lose, when we lose God's perspective on how work is supposed to be. And when we allow sin to taint our lives, then work becomes harder. See, if we're working only to achieve prosperity, success, or fame, then we've lost our perspective on work, what work is about. If we're climbing the corporate ladder and we're stepping on everybody on the way to the top, if we're working so much that... that our kids don't even know who we are and that we miss out on them growing up. If, if the work that we do is the only place that we find our value and significance, then we've lost God's perspective. And the opposite end is true as well. If you see little or no value in the work that you do, even in what might seem the most menial of tasks, then you've lost God's perspective. If you're only doing enough to avoid being fired, if you're getting away with whatever you can get away with, if you're cheating your employer of time, if you're indifferent to the quality of your work, if you're not putting your all into your job, then you've lost God's perspective on what work is supposed to be. And in those cases, when we view work in that human perspective, then we're working to rest instead of resting to work. Because I believe when we understand the biblical concept of work, then work isn't something that we have to do. Work becomes something we get to do. It becomes a blessing. Take moms, for example. We talked about all the hard work moms do. And it is hard work. There's no denying that. But yet moms do it without compensation. Why? Why do they do it without compensation? It's because they love their kids. And they're fulfilling the purpose that God created them for. To be a God-fearing, loving, nurturing, providing parent. And the result of their work is its own reward. I know what you're saying. You're going, Dave, listen, raising a child that I love is not the same as working at a job I hate. And I would argue to you that it is very, very similar. It's all a matter of perspective. It's all how you look at it. Listen, I understand working at a job you dislike is hard. But all work is hard. Do you hear what I'm saying? All work is hard because of the thorn and thistles. See, if you didn't have a disgruntled boss looking over your shoulder, if you didn't have coworkers that disliked you, if you didn't have projects that were so hard to do, if you didn't have deadlines that you had to meet, then work would probably be the most enjoyable thing in the world. 
Because work without thorns and thistles is fun. It's fun. But when you put the thorns and thistles in, it becomes a burden. And I understand that. I do. But just because it's hard, just because it's hard doesn't mean it can't be fulfilling. Because it can be. The challenge for us is to recognize that even though our labor is hard and it's challenging, we've been designed to work in tandem with God and not just for ourselves. And that's the perspective change that we need to have. We, when we see that God has not only given us work for a specific purpose, but that it's part of his ultimate plan, and when we see that God is working in step with us, then we can see work the way God intended work to be. So what I want to do today is I want to quickly go through three things, three ways where I think God has instituted work that will help us change the way we view work And it'll help us see the role that we play in work. So let's look at the first one. The first one is work is God's provision to you. Work is God's provision to you. We all know that work is set up for us to receive a paycheck in order that we, for us to get money to be able to buy food, clothes, and shelter. Work is a way for us to provide the necessary resources that we need to live. But have you ever stopped to think that the job that you have, the job that you hate is actually a blessing from God? Have you ever looked at it that way? See, our God is our provider. God provides everything for us. He has provided you talents and abilities. He's given you talents and gifts and abilities. And he's also given you a place to use those talents, gifts, and abilities. And that's your job. He's given you a job in order for you to provide for you and your family. Let's go back to look at what Solomon said. At first he was looking at it with the wrong perspective. But later on in life when he comes to his senses, he starts to see work the way God wants him to see it. He says this, There is nothing better for a man to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. Every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of his labor It is the gift of God. See, I think this point is an easy one for us to understand. We understand the concept that God is our provider and that he's the one that gives us everything and he's the one that's provided a job and the money for us to live. But I think it's also the one that's easiest for us to forget, especially when the job gets hard or tough. So God is work is God's provision to you, but that's not just for you. Because you and God are working together. And so work is also God's provision to others through you. Work is God's provision to others through you. You may not have ever thought your job that way, but it is. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no more, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those who are in need. See, working only to have is an American ideal, but it's not biblical. See, the most radical thing about this text is that we're commanded to do all the work that we do with a view towards meeting the needs of others. God is calling us to have a new attitude toward work. See, in our society, we usually think in terms of having a job is so that we can get money to meet our needs and to have Stuff and entertainment and more stuff and more stuff. 
But because we've been made into new people through Christ, see, we need to see our jobs differently. When you get up to go to work, one of the main reasons you're going to work is so that you will be able to give a part of your paycheck to somebody in need. Have you ever thought of your job that way? Have you ever looked at it that way? That God uses your work to provide for others? In the early early 20th century, Milton Hershey became one of the wealthiest men in America. But working to amass wealth was not how Hershey defined his life. See, he measured his financial success in terms of what he could accomplish for other people. He built a town that provided pleasant living conditions for his employees. He built a medical center, a family amusement park, a school for underprivileged children. See, Milton Hershey loved to make chocolate, but to him, work was primarily a means to serve God and to provide enjoyment to others. So God's work, so work is God's provision for us. And work is God's provision for others through us. And work is so others can see God working in you. Work is so others can see God working in you. Look at what Paul says in Colossians. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. See, it's so much more important how you do what you do than what you do to earn a living. See, all work has value, no matter what you do. The truth is, any job you hold can be transformed when you view it as a way to serve Jesus and to glorify God. The verse, this verse was written to people who were living, for the most part, as nothing more than menial slaves. Their lives were never going to improve, their work conditions would always be bleak, And seldom, if ever, were their fortunes going to improve. But see, everything changes. Everything changes when you begin to view your occupation as both a way to honor God and to represent God in the way you go about your daily tasks. See, you are working for the Lord. And I believe that your job isn't just a job. I believe it's a spiritual duty that you have. Work is sacred in the sense that it's done to the Lord, whether you're washing dishes, scrubbing floors, taking care of children at home, maintaining the house, whether you work in the financial marketplace, doing accounting and bookkeeping, whether you deliver mail, whether you're a teacher, whether you drive a truck, whether you operate a business, an engineer, whether you're in marketing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing... It's done as a service unto God. See, He has gifted you, and He has granted you talent, and He has given you the power to get wealth. And He has allowed you the opportunity to provide your sustenance through your talent, ability, and experience. But it has to be done, and it has to be done as if you were serving Him. Serving the one who gave you all of those abilities and talents. See, everything you do is a sacred trust. You're serving the Lord with your attitude and your diligence. You're doing it for His honor and for His glory. Yes, you're also serving mankind. 
Because what you do provides a service for your employer. But ultimately, you're serving Jesus. So if we're working for Jesus, then he's the boss, right? Jesus is the boss, right? If we're working for him, then Jesus is our boss. So let me ask you this. If Jesus is our boss, would you cheat Jesus out of hours? Would you only do the minimum for Jesus? Would you complain about the job that Jesus gave you? Would you be angry because somebody else got a promotion instead of you? I mean, think about it. If Jesus is really our boss, wouldn't that change the way that we view our work? It should. It should change it. Because the way we work can bring honor and glory to God. Because it's a testimony to the power of God in our lives that we show to the world around us. I mean, think about it. You're going to spend over 90,000 hours of your lifetime in the workplace. Over 90,000 hours. So who's going to see you the most outside of your family? Who are you going to interact with the most outside of your family? It's going to be your coworkers, right? And when Jesus said, go out into all the world and make disciples, I believe for the majority of us, he's talking about the workplace. He's talking about the workplace. The workplace is our biggest mission field. Listen, you don't have to go to Africa to make an impact on God's kingdom. You don't. You have a mission field right where you work every single day. That's one of the main ways we live since in this world. Because here's what I know. Many of the people that you work with will never come to a church service like this. Most of them will never hear the gospel message ever. So what does that leave for them? If they won't come to church and they can't hear the gospel of Christ, what does that leave for them? It leaves a powerful opportunity for you to be light in a very dark, dark world. Do you hear what I'm saying? It leaves the opportunity for you to be light in a dark, dark world. Now, I'm not saying that you need to stand on your seat in the cafeteria and start preaching Jesus. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But what God's telling you to do is to begin to build relationships with your coworkers. Go out of your way to be Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them so that the gospel can be naturally introduced. See, Paul actually talks about this in Colossians. He talks about where the conduct and character of believers working side by side with non-believers is so powerful. It's so powerful that the non-believers are the ones who initiate a conversation with you about your faith. He says this in Colossians. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. See, that kind of conversation can only happen if you're living in a way that shines the light of Christ that lives within you. He says in Philippians, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, 
shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. There is almost no place where people who don't know Jesus have the opportunity to observe believers in day-to-day situations and activities. The workplace is it. See, they're going to be looking at you and they're going to see whether you're patient or impatient, whether you're kind or uncaring, whether you're selfless or selfish, whether you're honest or dishonest, clean or vulgar in your talk. They have the opportunity to see your faith lived out day after day. And inviting unsafe friends to church is definitely a good thing to do, but it's going to be useless and even counterproductive if your attitude and your reliability and honesty on the job are in question. Do you hear what I'm saying? For, for your coworkers, for the majority of them, you are going to be the only picture of Jesus they ever see. Does that weigh heavy on you? It should. It should. You are the only representation of Jesus that they will ever see. That should change the way we look at work. That should change the purpose of work. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm going to close with this story. There were three men who worked side by side as masons on a great cathedral. And each one was asked, why did you do what you did? And the first man answered and he said, I was working for a certain amount of money every day. I was working for a paycheck. The second man said he was a bricklayer and he did so because he had a debt he needed to pay off. So he was working to pay off debt. The third man said he was building a great building for the worship of God. See, all three men were doing the same thing, the same tasks, but they all had different intentions as to why they were doing it. What are you building? What are you building in your workplace? Are you working just to get a paycheck? Or do you see work as an opportunity to do God's work, to impact His kingdom, to provide for your family and to provide for others and to share the gospel of Christ with those that are around you? See, I believe God wants you to find joy and purpose in your labor. So my prayer for you is that you will see your job in a different light. That you'll see how God is working with you and through you in your job. My prayer, my prayer is that you will see that God is providing for you and your family, but He's also using your work to bless others in your overflow. And I pray, man, I pray that you truly see your workplace as a mission field to share the gospel of Christ with your co-workers. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us talent, God, giving us gifts, giving us the ability to work. God, I know sometimes we don't see work as a blessing and we don't see it as a gift. So God, my prayer is that you would change our perspective. You would change the way that we view work. God, you would change how we see work. God, my prayer is is that as we go from this place and go back into the workplace, God, that we would take the time to rest because it's so, so important that we rest. But as we rest in order to work, God, that we would see our work 
as your work, Lord, not just, not just a job to earn a paycheck, but God, that we would see work as part of your kingdom work and that we, re- we would represent Jesus well and that we would see the opportunity to share the gospel with a world that desperately needs you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.